Chapter 9 of Daylight Land by W. H. H. Murray. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 9 A Strange Midnight Ride. Is there not a tongue in every ear that talks with man and woos him to be wise, nor woos in vain? This dead of midnight is the noon of thought, and wisdom mounts her zenith with the stars. A ride, and such a ride as no ancient ever took, although he were a god. A ride upon a steed without feet or wings, and yet a steed which swept us through sunlit space and starlit gloom faster than hoof of speed or flight of wing. To the south, the prairie land stretched green and fragrant with summer growth and bloom to the far southern gulf. To the north, the same lovely level swept to the lower edge of the great Mackenzie Basin, that far river of the north of which few know but little, and most know nothing. Its length, longer than the Mississippi's, its climate, although upon the edge and within the rim of the Arctic Circle, still warmer than Dakota's. Its plains, within those vast boundaries eastern states and provinces might be placed and lost. The growth of its rich soils, barley, wheat, peas, and all life-eating vegetables, together with those hardy flowers which grace our northern tables. These and other marvels born of isothermal lines which, curving hither and yon, laugh at lines of latitude, are not these things scoffed at by the stay-at-homes as myths and idle tales? Why then tell of the great possibilities for healthy men and happy homes lying far to the north of present settlements, of millions on millions of acres that only wait for the plough and the seed, the sower's hand and the harvester's sickle, to yield the hungry world the bread it needs, if it will not believe the truth. Yet the world will read the poetry of this far-stretching land, and, reading it, will by and by come to the knowledge of its economic facts, perhaps. To the south, then, the plains stretch to the gulf, to the north, half as far. To the east, the great lawn extended nigh three hundred leagues. To the west, in the glory of sunset, its sapphire splendors spread over the fixed blue of heaven and the floating fleece of clouds, arose the barrier of a great mountain wall, which reached to the south and north as far as I might see. Never in all my journeyings had I seen such a sight. The foothills in the distance and gathering gloom were flattened out of view, and the green prairie land spread to the very foot of that majestic wall, as level as a floor. At the far edge of this extended emerald field, the monstrous range, its hither side darkened with firs and evening's gloom, rose in might and majesty. It was as if I had come at last to the very edge of the world, which God had fenced and barricaded, fixing with almighty power the limit of man's wandering and discoveries. Toward this monstrous barricade, this base of gloom that stretched far as the eye might see to the north and south, we drove in silence. Behind this wall the red sun slowly sank. I saw its quivering orb of flame rest on a peak of snow that at its touch kindled to the brightness of a burning star. On either hand a hundred other peaks flashed like newly lighted beacons. Is it for warning or for guidance? I queried to myself for the weird sight stirred my imagination unwontedly, that those hundred beacon fires stretching in front of me on either hand a hundred miles are kindled high in heaven. 
thus then was i hurried onward fast as set wings might carry me with my gaze on the peaks the fading fire in the sky and the growing gloom slowly the crimson faded slowly the sapphire colors lost their splendors slowly the orange lights were blanched and the warm tones that filled the heavens chilled into gray then in the far distance my eye saw only a blue sky pointed here and there with starry fire and between it and me sharply edged cleanly cut strongly defined stood forth domes of snow and pinnacles of ice many sights of splendor have i seen wandering by day and night many pictures such as a man's hand could never paint have i gazed at both at noontide and at midnight when for my entertainment as it seemed for being there alone i only saw nature kindly shifted her etched or painted scrolls many weird sights have i gazed at floating on the northern waters in the night-time when all the woods were silent with local stillness and round the pole by hands unnamed by science unknown to superstition even were lighted the mystic fires which illuminate with awful and shimmering splendors the end of the world but never in wandering by day or night or plain or mountain slope or surface of forest lakes have my eyes beheld a spectacle so strange and startling or an exhibition so magnificent as i saw gazing westward through the gloom at the summits of the rocky mountains with the world around me darkened in the gloaming and the dead sunset lying on the byre of night beyond between the dark earth and the blue sky the black flatness and the star-lighted dome the whiteness of the peaks drew a line of startling effects from north to south held in mysterious suspension between earth and heavens as far as i might range steadily we rolled onward behind the roar and rumble of the train ahead the stillness of nature's undisturbed repose when man sleeps and animals walk velvet-footed the sun had set the moon had not risen yet it was not dark a strange half-light filled the world the train i could not see for i was riding ahead of it the power that drew it those mighty throbbings i could feel as though within me pushed me through the air as an arrow is pushed from the bow i was being whirled along as a bird is whirled when it rides the tempest the dusk was fragrant with unseen bloom the earth odors were blown into my nostrils i breathed the strong life of the world and felt its strength come to me as i breathed suddenly on my left i saw a snowy owl sailing with set wings westward was it the ghost of the day that had just died that had been forced at last to leave the world it loved so well the spectral vision raced us a race and won and far ahead i saw its snowy plumage fade and lose itself in the distance a flock of ducks startled from the sedges of the lake we skirted whirred upward out of sight i thought it strange that i could hear their feathered strokes so far away above me the great round eye of the headlight blazed like a sun a coyote sprang upon the track stood for a moment gazing at us its eyes two diamond sparks its dirty gray coat gleaming white and beautiful as silk then slunk away and the gloaming hid it from sight suddenly above us and ahead a flock of mighty birds swept into view their bodies white their legs half the length of a man's their long broad bills crooked like a spoon yellow as gold their wings shading from their white bodies into raven black 
stretched wider than a man's hands could reach. They were pelicans, those mighty birds that float upon the prairie lakes as large as swans, whose vans beat the air with strokes stronger than an eagle's. One such bird might make a trophy for a hunter more noble than horns of elk or head of moose. They gave no cry, but circled like specters into sight, and like a ghostly visitation disappeared. Thus into the night I glided, holding converse with the night, a wingless bird myself, flying with birds. Those who know nature only by day know only half of her, and the least interesting half at that. Nature has two faces. Both are beautiful, but one is supremely so. The one is a human face, glowing, sunlighted, tanned, scarred, it may be, perfect or imperfect, as the day is. Her nighttime face is an angel's, the face of one that has been translated from flesh to spirit, and by the translation lost its grossness, and become etherealized. Its beauty is that beauty which is veiled, which gains from having its loveliness suggested rather than revealed. The nude is always unsatisfactory, for loveliness is ever a thing of suggestion rather than revelation. He who sees all plainly sees too much. As sight would rob religion of the glory of faith, so it robs loveliness of the benefits of imagination. One may tire of nature by day. The sun makes her common. When morning is fully come, we may go within doors and eat. We may go to our toil. We may strike our tents and move on, weary of the dusty road. For not until the glare is past and the hot sun dimmed by coming shadows and cooled by falling dew, need we halt on the march or come forth from our doors to look about us. Verily to the lover of nature, whether on plain or amid hills or shore of sea, the night is the time to wake. Then should eyes be opened as stars and orbed for vision, as is the moon when it rolls in its rounded perfection through the lighted skies. And, oh, the voices of the night! The day is tuneless. A man monopolizes it with his noises, with the murmurs of his trade, the roar and rumble of his commerce, with the strident calls of his shoutings, his cursing, and his turbulence. But with the night comes that silence which is vocal. Then nature sings. Her tunefulness is heard abroad, and her soft melodies come sweetly to listening ears. The sod finds speech. The brook murmurs to the banks. The trees whisper and call in sylvan concert. And through all the fields a thousand tongues, unknown among the languages of men, break forth in sweet expression. To many, I know that what I write will be a mystery, or only as a joining of meaningless words, but to others it will come freighted with soberness and truth, for they, as well as I, have camped upon the shores of lakes amid the circling woods, have stood alone at night on boundless prairies, and thrown themselves down amid the grasses and flowers, unable to sleep because of the glory that was above them, the odors that they breathed, and the sweet sounds which came to their charmed ears from nigh or far. And others yet have stood upon the top of mountains when the sun went down, and with gladness seen the shadows darken and the stars come out, watching for them as for love faces not seen for years. And have sat on the bare rocks hour after hour and watched them draw their golden circles through the blue above, 
and in the silence heard all the tones of memory in the prophecies of hope and when at last they slept they found the granite softer than a downy bed shut in with walls and doors these reading know what i mean and that i say the truth and lie not when i say that he who has seen nature only by day has seen only the lesser half of her gloom to the left in the bend of bow river a herd of cattle stood in the fog their heads and backs showing above the white fleece their bodies invisible, a strange effect. The old, old fight, older than the world, was being waged around us, the fight of light with darkness. The attack and defense were equally stubborn. There were no charges, no sudden dashes, no quick recoil or recoveries of position. The movements were vast, slow-motioned, immense. The stars from pole to pole telegraphed the result, the horizon line of the whole world showed us, as we gazed, the victory and defeat. Suddenly, high in heaven, the summits of the mountains, an endless line shone pearly white. Below the gleaming spires of their monstrous bulks were black as night. It was a sight to see with lifted hands. Then all the world grew rosy. The low-lying fog fields crimsoned. The foothills sprang into view. The clouds blushed. The sun, without warning, had kissed them. The icy peaks flashed white like electric lights. The sun leapt from the far eastern grasses, and morning, with a crush of glorious color on her face, took vivid possession of the world. And thus, with faces wet with dew, our nostrils filled with the forest odors, our eyes bright as the eyes of those who had discovered a new world, we dashed into the amphitheater of the everlasting hills and stopped at last our glorious ride ended and stood in the red light of the morning gazing bewildered astonished at that marvellous expression of nature's beauty and majesty known to the tourists of this western world as banff end of chapter nine